This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. The 2021 Dunedin Writers and Readers Festival was held in Aotearoa, Dunedin, our UNESCO City of Literature, from the 6th until the 9th of May. In this podcast series, we share recordings from these sessions with you. In this session, the 2021 Poet Laureate David Eagleton dives into his new book, The Wilder Years, Selected Poems, with Victor Billow and presented by Otago University Press. So, um, welcome everyone. It's um, grand to see such a great turnout and, um, you know, the festival's going really well, um, which is, is wonderful too. Um, <clears throat> this obviously is a session with David Eagleton. We're talking about his... Uh, uh, selected Poems, which has just uh, come out, and in fact it's officially being launched tonight. The the Wilder Years, was it pronunciation? The Wilder the Years. The Wilder Years, yeah. My name's Victor Billow. Um, I'm going to be interviewing David tonight, or discussing his book with him. And just a few words of introduction for David. Uh, David Eagleton is of Rotuman, Tongan and Pelagi ancestry. He grew up in Fiji in South Auckland, and he now lives in Dunedin, New Zealand Aotearoa, and has for some years, I, I think. Uh, he's a poet, art critic, writer, editor and freelance journalist. He received the Prime Minister's Award for Literary Achievement in Poetry in 2016 and is the current New Zealand Poet Laureate, 2019 to 2021. And, of course, uh, with the, uh, his uh, stick here, which he has introduced us to, is part of that deal. Uh, David's had multiple books of poems and a uh, book of short fiction, fiction published as well as a number of works of non-fiction. He's got a, accumulated a vast list of um, accomplishments and awards here, um, all thoroughly deserved. I first met David in 1990 when I interviewed him for Critic when he was a Robert Burns Fellow at Otago University. Um, that was in 1990. He's multi-talented. He also won the Review of the Year Award six times um, at the Montana New Zealand Book Awards. For eight years, 2009 to 2017, David was the editor of Landfall, uh, New Zealand's preeminent journal of arts and letters, um, which uh, passed on editorship to Emma Neill and is now uh, to uh, Lindley Edmeads more recently. Uh, David's collection, The Conch Trumpet, 2015, won the Poetry Award at the 2016 Ockham New Zealand Book Awards, and in 2017, David was the recipient of the Fulbright Creative New Zealand Pacific Writers Residency which we were just chatting about then, and I might mention that a little bit later on. His latest collection, The Wild Years, is a hardback compendium of the poet's own selection from 35 years of published work, together with a handful of new poems. So, uh, a wonderful achievement, and we're all very happy to be here tonight to celebrate it. So I'm going to... Um, uh, I've got a few lines of attack on David here, who will uh, do his best to enlighten us. Um, the first thing I'd like to start talking about your poetry, David, and with reference to your collection here, is about uh, then and now. Um, and it's easy to make generalisations about generations and eras and scenes and poetry. Um, there was a time when many New Zealand poets and writers were establishing and debating what they saw as a national literature from the 1930s um, through the post-war era. There's another generation of poets who broadly fitted with the countercultural uh, questionings and experiments of the 60s and 70s. And now we find ourselves in the third decade of the new millennium, and poetry's undergone a pretty weird and wild uh, sea change, both locally and internationally. There's a profusion of voices 
a kind of chaotic spirit out there. There's a lot of stuff going on. But I'd like to um, ask you about the period between when you started publishing poetry and now. Your first collection, South Pacific Sunrise, was published in 1986. This was in New Zealand where uh, Rob Muldoon had only just been voted out of office, a time when the uh, post-war consensus was melting under the laser blasts of Rogenomics and a new mode of capitalist realism, and 35 years later we find ourselves here and New Zealand is in a many ways unrecognisable uh, society compared to what it was when you were publishing your first books. You're a public poet in both operational mode and literary focus. Your poetry is always unpacking the world and kicking the tyres of our society. How do you think the times that you have lived through have influenced your poetry? Um, well, uh, thank you, Vicky, for that question. Um, I really sprang out of the countercultural movement you talked about in the 60s and 70s. I sort of began writing when Muldoon was voted in. Um, so <laughs> 10 years later he was voted out. But at that, my very early writing was kind of messing around and trying to work out what it was I wanted to say. But it was partly in reaction to the, uh, the poets immediately before me, like Bill Manhoor and Ian Wede and um, to some extent um, Sam Hunt, um, who were kind of um, associated with the university. I was more from a working-class background in South Auckland, so I was kind of writing about my uh, own personal experiences and then thinking that actually the kind of highfalutin language that they were using wasn't really what, uh, where I was coming from. So I was actually quite involved with the vernacular and trying to get that into my poetry. So I used to publish my very first efforts myself in broadsheets, and they were ones that I sort of sold at places like Cook Street Market and other kind of um, stalls around the place, um, and with no kind of literary recognition at all. It was really about finding your own audience and, um, and uh, people who were interested in the kind of things I had to say at that time. And I, uh, some of my early stuff was a bit muddled and that, and I kind of had to work my way through it until finally um, I began to... Uh, develop a, my own voice or my own technique and, and way of doing things, which, uh, when I say was my own, was also very much in response to what was going on um, in terms of like rap music and um, rock music and um, even the Flying Nun sound. I was sort of uh, tuned into all that in the, in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, and there, I mean, it was a great, New Zealand was a time of great ferment, so I think I very much was part of the surfing that. Um, the, the, the uh, emergence of David Longy and, and, and the new Labour um, government um, with, was um, a sort of all part of that kind of response to the liberation movements in the early 70s. Um, and I sort of grew up with all that and was, was, was like... You know, poetry is all about the sensation. And for me, it's about the sensation of the times. I was trying to capture that in what I was writing. And so uh, that's, where it, that's where it began. And, um, and basically, I've just kept going. And... Um, uh, it's important for me to be sort of rooted in New Zealand. Uh, um, I've never sort of lived anywhere else for, for a long time, so I've spent a few months overseas here and there, but basically um, I need to have my ear to the ground in this country, so that's why I write out of living in this country and um, just the way we um, do things here. Um, um, but added to that is that I'm actually a bit confrontational and antagonistic to the way we do things here. So I come from, as I say, working-class background, but also a migrant background, and my father was, um, was, uh, was English and migrated to New Zealand, and then he, he was in the Royal New Zealand Air Force, and he went to uh, Fiji where he met my mother and so forth, and eventually we came to New Zealand. Um, so we were sort of arrived here at an era of assimilation, like in the late 50s, 60s, um, where you were supposed to fit in. So 
we actually had trouble fitting in. So, um, and that was part of what my initial impulse was for writing, was to try and understand what it meant to live in this country, New Zealand. And I've kind of just maintained that same interest all the way through, basically. It's just variations on that sense that, uh, of, um, of, of what is familiar and what is unfamiliar. What is, what is the right way to be in this country and, and, and what, what did I bring to it as, a, as a, coming from a migrant family? Um, and then trying to understand how I fit in with, as you mentioned, my uh, return in Tongan Palangi mixed background, it's sort of that. So all those kind of elements are kind of a bit in conflict. So um, it's a way of finding a way for me to resolve that, and poetry was a way of doing that. Um, just um, and also it kind of um, mirrored to some extent what was happening in New Zealand, like the conflicts, mm. especially in the 70s. That's why I kind of felt in tune with the zeitgeist, because there was a lot of conflict. There was, you know, New Zealand was very, getting very polarised. And in fact, I suppose in a way, what we're seeing now is, is even more polarisation. But, but that was kind of like when it was the momentum began back in the 70s um, and into the 80s especially. So by the time I got my first book out, I'd published quite a few broadsheets, um, about six or seven broadsheets of poems, and I'd kind of road tested them around New Zealand, but also overseas and um, various festivals. I went to the Poetry Olympics in London to represent New Zealand. And um, the Ranters Cup Festival organised by Attila the Stockbroker. And so I performed over in, in the UK with a lot of um, their top poets like Benjamin Zephaniah and uh, Seething Wells and John Cooper Clark and so on and so forth. So I felt like I was actually um, part of that scene as much because it was like related to how the Flying Nun scene was part of the rock and roll around the world. It mm. was like this is the New Zealand version of what's happening globally and internationally at that time. Yeah, so that, I mean that's a, um, that's an interesting point because, of course, uh, as you you said in the, your answer to that uh, lengthy question of mine, um, you, you have very much been based around a, uh, locked into a kind of a position of um, exploring New Zealand society over time. Um, and although you've ventured outside, obviously, your poetry deals with all sorts of topics. Is that's been a real recurring theme? Has been the um, New Zealand culture, economy, society, um, and also geography, which um, brings me to um, another kind of question that I, I wanted to ask about you, which is um, we just discussed a little bit of the kind of life and times and the then and now, um, which gives your poetry a context. But the one other thing that I've often thought to myself about it is um, the, we've got time, but we've also got space. And your poetry often uses engagement with place to instigate a kind of chain reaction, a series of responses and references that overflow all constraints. The poems in the wild years range widely over the physical world, but the two places I find myself always returning to in your poetry are Auckland and Dunedin, two cities which have profoundly influenced you. Um, would you like to talk a little bit about the, or uh, about the kind of, are they? Do you see those as two poles in your writing, or two different? Um, yeah, I agree with that. North and south. I sort of wandered down to Dunedin back in the seventies for the first time, and kind of um, found it very strange, and and uh, <laughs> it kind of it seemed it seemed quite quite different to to Auckland, and it is very different in a way. So. Uh, um, and it's much more, um, a sense much more ordered kind of city, whereas Auckland's a more of a random agglomeration of suburbs and, and uh, different interest groups, whereas it's always struck me that Dunedin has a very strong sense of its own identity and character, which, is, which began 
in the 1860s with the gold rush, or, or before then actually, with the with the with the Presbyterian kind of um, you know city of God kind of thing or set, settle, settlement here, um, and um, so that, uh, that that kind of religious basis to Dunedin. Um, it's kind of influenced influence its character, and it's kind of totally lacking in Auckland. Um, and whereas Auckland has all, the, all these class um, issues going on, so as I say, South Auckland working class very much. So, um, and so I found it difficult to make the transition to Auckland Central. To I went to university for a while, but I didn't really fit in because I came from a different part of the different neck of the woods in terms of um, accessing stuff at that time. So um, that's kind of why I drifted into the workforce as a factory worker and. Um, and so I came down here and worked at Cadbury's, <laughs> amongst other places, and um, and then went back up to Auckland. Um, and but my, my main interest was being a writer. Um, and um, and then having discovered Dunedin, um, really, really um, the great tradition, of course, of um, Janet Frame and James K. Baxter, and um, and, and likewise, Honey Tufari discovered Dunedin. Um, there's something about this province of Otago and the way it's Historically developed and so forth. That um, you know, this, and it's 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 sort of um, the way it places value on, on on high culture or on culture in general and education and those kinds of things um, um, have made it um, stand out. I've made it kind of unique in a sense. So um, that was something I um, drew from, um, and also the very different climate um, became a sort of a opportunity to offer metaphors. I mean. James K. Baxter's talk about the climate, the cold climate, and the representing aspects of the spiritual and so forth, and that, and his work in Calvinism, and um, so I, I found that, found that quite interesting to relate to my own ideas of what it meant to be a New Zealander. Coming back to that, so um, so I drew a lot of inspiration from um, Baxter as a poet, and and also from those other people you you kind of alluded to early on. Um, you know, the, the modernists, the 40s and 50s crowd who were trying to identify what New Zealand was. So I see myself as a kind of a neo-nationalist in that sense, um, without taking it too far. I mean, um, because that's got bad connotations nowadays. But um, <laughs> but there's also this idea that 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 um, they were trying to create a, a kind of a New Zealandness, um, and especially Alan Kuno and, and, and so on. But um, so now I, I, uh, we've moved on from that again, if you like, but um, that's certainly where I was kind of operating with, the, with those twin poles. Um, and then, um, so that was like my compass, the uh, map of the territory was New Zealand, New Zealandness, and then also my own uh, background has led me more to go back to the islands and um, explore that a bit and, and then across to Australia and, and locate New Zealand within this kind of nexus of the South Pacific mm. over the past few years. Mm. Yeah, no, that's. Um, I might return to um, one of those uh, points uh, soon. Um, <clears throat> and we talked a little bit about um, in, in the, our discussion here about you know, where we uh, place ourselves and you know your your personal history and how that's influenced your your writing, your, your outlook, um, the kind of trajectory you've taken when you've as a writer. Um, so. Um, I think um, I'd like to actually talk a little bit more about that uh, side of things now, and um, <clears throat> I'll go back a little bit in time. Um, when I interviewed you in 1990, when you were Robert Burns Fellow, um, this was the first, you know, the first major, I guess, um, official recognition of your writing outside publishing, um, the Robert Burns um, Fellow Fellowship in 1990, um, the first of many, and. Um, 
your early writing, as you, you, you mentioned, and, and your position was quite a radical one. It was standing apart, perhaps, from the mainstream culture in both form and presentation. Um, you were a street and pub performer, um, as you mentioned, you know, uh, something that you obviously developed when you were in the UK. So um, that kind of was a little bit kind of punk rock in the broader sense of the word. You've stayed uh, uh, during your career at quite a at a distance from the the academy. Um, you're kind of a freelance cultural agent whose poetry is uh, profane and colloquial, as well as formal. Um, and of course, your time as the editor of Landfall, which uh, the the duration was second only to uh, founding editor Charles Brash. Um, this all places you in a central position now in New Zealand literary life. Um, my question, what I'm kind of working towards here, is are these different and con even contradictory aspects of your career, attention and your creative life, the outsider, the insider, um, in terms of your, your art, um, your background? How, how do you... Uh, does, is that something that kind of is a, is a big... Uh, tension in your creative life? That those, um, well, I went to Aurary College in South Auckland. I got quite a good education there. So they were keen for me to go on to university. But uh, I didn't really uh, click with, with, with the university. Um, so, as I say, I, I was kind of writing these very, very um, way out poems that kind of more drew on, like, um, cosmic things and happy things and, uh, <laughs> and so forth and all those they were, I mean, counterculture was a real thing back then, it was, had a, a power and a force to it uh, mm -hmm. you know, and it, it splintered into things like the Values Party and um, a whole lot of other back to the land hippie movements and things and um, ecolo ecology movements, environmentalism and all that but back then it was kind of like one one sort of before the Big Bang, it was like a, it was like a mass of of, um, of uh, things going on: gay liberation, uh, feminism. All these things were were kind of um, were like trigger things for me to to write the way I wanted to write. They kind of encouraged me to express um, stuff which wasn't coming through the normal literary channel. So, as I say, I couldn't get my work published in magazines like Landfall back in the mm. back in the early eighties. And it wasn't until, but several years later, I was able to get my work in, partly by writing across the spectrum of different ways you can write poetry. So I, I kind of learnt the trade of how to write, to write in different different modes of poetry, different uh, um, stylistic um, devices that you use to craft poems. Um, and so some of those more crafted works got accepted. But the other poems were generally um, derided and attacked by by people, um, so they weren't. Um, but it, it's it's a complex business, and there, there were people who who were critics like H. Winston Rhodes, who was a leftist critic in Christchurch, and set up a magazine there called the Monthly Review, mm. which was um, for the socialist left. So he he was very keen on my poetry because he saw it was coming from this kind of working class background. So he promoted it and so forth. And that would have been the late seventies, early eighties. But um, what my breakthrough was really um, publishing in a few literary magazines like Moorport, which is run by Graham Lindsay, um, which is where um, my big long poem, Painting Mount Taranaki, first appeared. And then Ian Wede saw it in um, Moorport and he uh, took it for his um, big new um, anthology uh, that he did with Harvey McQueen called um, 
Penguin Book of New Zealand Poetry or New Zealand Verse, which came out in 1985. So it was a breakthrough for me because he made a lot of that poem and said this is a, this is a key poem for the 1980s. It tells us where we are now. Um, and and it, it, you can read it in a lot of different ways. So he read all these things into it and made it made a part of his manifesto, which was the the, the preface to um, the Penguin Book of New Zealand Verse, which suggested that there was a huge swift, a huge shift and change in uh, what was happening in New Zealand poetry. And so and so so that was the wave. The new poets began to emerge. And Murray Edmund put out a book called The New Poets, and it had it had Kerry Hume and. Um, and uh, Aparana Taylor and all these other emerging uh, new poets of the 1980s coming through, um, and Gregory O'Brien starting to pop up around the place. And this is the mid-80s when the, this, so this, this transform, transformative wave was occurring. And so within a few short years, I was suddenly um, seen as part of that and taken into the Penguin um, publishing house, and they published my first two collections, which is they'd published Sam Hunt and they'd published um, someone else, maybe it was Dennis Glover or someone, but the Bible was the first that they published two collections of. So um, anyway, Brian Turner saw me performing around the place and said uh, he really liked my poetry, so uh, he suggested I should go for the Robbie Burns Fellowship. And so I ended up with it in 1990, and you know, and so it went on from there. So, yeah. um, um, so what was your question? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you, uh, whatever it was, I think you answered it. Um, no, I, no, that's uh, interesting because that, that shows you the kind of, uh, I mean, this is the odd thing about poetry or culture in this country in general, it's a, or all sorts of things. It's, it's a very small society, um, but also in lots of ways actually uh, quite diverse. Um, and... Uh, it's certainly your time over the, that period you've been writing uh, since the, uh, well, obviously since the 70s and so forth, but um, that trajectory has been an interesting one in that um, you alluded to the fact that at the, the early years it was seen as uh, beyond the pale, a lot of it, and uh, you were not a part of the establishment, literary establishment of the country, um, Whereas now somehow you are, um, you've right. become the literary uh, establishment, which in is quite uh, ironic in a way. Yes. Um, and it was also funny how you said you had a bit of trouble getting published in Landfall, which probably 90% of the people in this room can identify with, but, um, you know, they're very hard, some of those editors at Landfall. So it's yes. quite ironic you ended up, uh, well, not ironic, but uh, good, I suppose, that you ended up as the editor of the same... Um, Highly respected uh, literary journal that uh, wasn't interested in you initially, but it, that was a case of learning the craft. Do you think? Um, Partly, a... yeah. I mean, there were several different aspects to it. One is just being around for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Eventually, uh, <laughs> eventually, you get to be um, seen as, uh, if not trustworthy, at least reliable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, something like that. In, yeah. the, in, the, in the area of someone who's not going to suddenly wreck things. Or, yeah. Um, so, so I think also people caught up. Well, he's been yeah. saying he's he's a total subversive, but in fact, if we look at the work, yeah. it seems to be part of a tradition mm. and merely a development of that tradition. And, and that that subversiveness was actually a phenomenon of the times, where everyone was uh, seemed to be you know, this countercultural movement eventually became the mainstream. So, as part of that, yeah. I, I um, benefited in a way from that. But I suppose also I observed what was going on and. Um, saw the good things about um, the changes in New Zealand culture which we were supporting, and I did support them, um, and I've tried to do that all the way through. So 
so I mean, my initial impulse was was the question: Who am I in this society of Aotearoa? And kind of working that out has led me to where I am in a way. Um, so this book, The Wilder Years, is a, a kind of, is a tome which kind of collects um, a bit lumpy. So it's not it's not a straight trajectory actually. Yeah. It does sort of zigzag a bit <laughs> and um, go up and down a bit and um, through through a rainforest and up over the mountains and <laughs> and maybe underwater and, yeah. and so forth. So um, it's a book which collects some of um, some of I couldn't get everything in that I wanted to get yeah. in. It would certainly be, <laughs> but uh, it, um, some people say you know, it should be a greatest hits or the best of. Um, whereas for me, it's more like um, a, almost like mentos of 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 what I think have been important um, um, poems for me to write. Um, um, the, the, and also shorter poems, yes, not yes. long poems. Well, which, there, um, there's definitely a sense uh, in this book of um, moving, not just t- moving through New Zealand, um, and uh, you know that sense of time and tide. Um, uh, of course, um, just interesting to note. I was just thinking about that in terms of. Um, the poem for Ben Brown, um, with its and Ben's obviously just um, got got a um, got himself a kind of new uh, great new position there to d- develop um, writing in New Zealand. But um, this poem that you've you've written to Ben Brown, the uh, Littleton poet, I think. Littleton poet, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a series of um, basically in the uh, na- names and places um, of, of of and personalities of New Zealand, which kind of provide this quite um, Highly crystallised, highly concentrated dose of New Zealand over uh, for your, your life, and it's it, it, on the surface, it's quite a, um, a kind of, in a sense, a kind of light-hearted kind of uh, poem, satirical poem, maybe even in some ways. But it actually is uh, uh, features a whole, you know, it's kind of like a, everything's in there, everyone's there, and no one gets out of this poem alive. But yeah. I won't, uh, I won't uh, go into it too much. Well, well, well I mean, quite criticism has been levelled at my work is that it does tend to have too much in it, and, and there's too much content. You know, I need to leave things out. Um, and so there's an argument that you, yeah, I do. I'm not, I'm not sort of of, of those schools of thought which do tend to have minimal um, amounts of. Um, Language and, and work with those very precisely. Uh, I do I do have very sort of loose structure, the Whitman-esque, um, Ellen Ginsberg type things. Uh, ways of writing appeal to me because they, they they seem to be more all embracing, and also they embrace contradictions um, and multitudes and their ideas. Something that I relate to very strongly because I feel like I'm made up of, you know, with a, with a with a cultural broad cultural background and. Um, and um, and uh, and also the insularity of New Zealand, the narrowness. I feel like that is a kind of a cliche about New Zealand. It's better to challenge that and actually say no. We we we, we only have that insularity because we choose to ignore what's actually around us. So if you look in other directions in New Zealand, you see lots of um, minorities. You see lots of different subcultures going on. And we have lot. We have lots here. And we actually uh, partly it's the relationship like that of an outrigger canoe between one part of the boat and the other. And our relationship is with Australia. So we have, we have, this, we have a huge number of maybe 500,000 New Zealanders who live in Australia. So, and they, they sort of to and fro a bit, and, or they have relatives here. So there's a, that great 
um, balancing thing going on there, which is, isn't often referred to except in a, in a denigratory way, and I think it's actually a positive thing. And we draw on that, um, although sometimes we have to fight our way to, <laughs> to claim aspects of New Zealanders, which the Australians seem to want to claim for themselves. But, um, you know, that sort of dynamic is quite important to this country and um, also its place in the South Pacific with um, this, its responsibility to, to the Cook Islands, to, to Samoa and to Western Samoa, to other, other islands, um, Vanuatu and um, Fiji. Um, although I actually have to say, when I first came here with my family, it was very hard to get in to New Zealand from Fiji. My father had a terrible job getting our family in. Um, um, and in fact, he had uh, a lot of uh, trouble uh, actually marrying my mother um, since they, the Air Force suggested that he should be sent back to New Zealand rather than be allowed to marry a person from, yeah, <laughs> from Fiji at that time, which was so there was an aspect of the sort of um, kind of mentality that existed in New Zealand back then. The official, um, because un- unofficially, there was a lot of, you know, inter, inter marriages are going on or inter. Um, inter-ethnic relationships happening all around New Zealand and so forth just wasn't acknowledged officially um, or institutionally, those kinds of things. So we have this other narrative there as well. Um, and, uh, and kind of like to draw on all these things because, in fact, they, they, they enrich um, the, the narrative, the master narrative of what New Zealand is and, and stuff like that. So if you come up to today, um, we've, got, we've got these still competing ideas of what New Zealand is. Um, and... Uh, and, 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 and all these special interest groups and all these community groups who are even in a way have their own poets, you know, and their own, <laughs> their own uh, people speaking for them. Um, and I think that's kind of interesting. That's how it is. I mean, there's no point in denying reality. So uh, it's about um, acknowledging all our diversity um, and, uh, and the different ways um, New Zealand voices are being manifested today from different communities within, within these, this uh, archipelago. It certainly seems to be something that's happening in uh, poetry because, um, I mean, I, I find it hard to keep up with. I mean, I, I had the sense when I first got into poetry, first got the habit, um, it was like a lot of it was you spent your time, well, I spent my time, I felt I was looking backwards and, and looking at things that had happened previous to when I was around, whereas, of course, now I don't know if it's me or the world or what, but it, it seems like there's a lot of stuff behind us but there's a lot of stuff around us and, and, and younger writers coming through especially which seems to be kind of a absolutely um, thriving yes. and um, well you could say before and after the internet as well so around yeah, 2001 yeah. you know and, and especially after the invention of the smartphone around 2008 and gradually that's led to a huge transformation in, in what's considered proper to write about in poetry and so forth and you know, uh, artificial intelligence machines writing their own versions yeah, yeah. poems and things getting into the mix as well. Yeah. So it's become a lot more confusing in a way, uh, and 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 exciting also. But yeah, you know, it's uh, where we're at. <laughs> the times we live in. No, very good. Well, um, I, I'm kind of move, we're moving towards the latter part of our, our discussion now, and we'll have a time for some uh, questions later on at the end. One question that I um, you know, which it covers, which I'm going to ask, it covers some of the things you've already talked about, but I think it'll be good to go over those just a little bit more. Um, and this is a question about your, your poetry and how it relates to the world. Um, so when I think of David Eagleton poetry, I often think it, it, its vision, its gaze is on the world as experience. It's a, a poet who's examining the natural and social orders 
it, it collates, it interrogates, it's speaking in many voices. Um, the new generation of poets who we were just talking about, the post-millennials, I don't know if any, any of them are here, identify yourself if you are, um, they seem to subscribe to often to um, progressive and sometimes radical social views, um, yet often to me, um, and, and I could be wrong here, as a group they often seem to be focused, a lot of that seems to be focused on the internal life, intimate relationships, it's self-referential and self-deprecating. None of which is good or bad, it's just a, a, a way of, of writing and looking at the world. But I have often thought with David Egerton poetry, um, it's got an outward gaze. Um, do you think this kind of looking at the world outside you um, is a tendency or focus in your poetry? Um, and if, if I'm on the right track here, and I might not be, um, could you talk a little bit perhaps about what push you towards a certain way of looking at the world. Um, and I think we've, we've touched on some of this, but, um, yeah, looking outwards. Is that something that you do, looking outwards at the world as a poet? Um, well, I think, I think actually my, my work is disguised autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's confessional. No, I suppose it's more about me being... Um, Believing in uh, the power of uh, public poetry, coming again from from the counterculture, um, writing a poetry which is about what the people, this mythical beast, the people, but still um, wanting to believe these these things, the ideals, um, and and um, the socialism of it, and uh, all those kinds of things. And I mean that is, I suppose, in complete opposition to what's happening now with atomization and tiny little. Um, um, Groups of people, um, or even a kind of a, um, I find it um, <laughs> a bit difficult to to talk about um, why I write the way I do. Um, mm. I mean, uh, W. H. Auden wrote um, public poetry, and um, W. B. Yeats wrote public poetry. Um, that's sort of what I. That's what I, I kind of. Um, wanted to write is what I aspired to write is like yep. a poetry which um, had some meaning for people I have to say when I began I suppose come back to this idea of confessional poetry I found that actually my confessions weren't that much different to what everyone else was writing there was, <laughs> I wasn't really standing out I was, uh, why write my poetry at all because yeah. so I might have stopped writing if I just kept writing about my own little problems because it yeah, seemed yeah. very important um, and that's why I thought what, there, what we lack in New Zealand is a more public kind of voice. Although we had we had Baxter, but he, he kind of dropped dead in that. Um, and and also his his stuff was a bit um, his mythologising his own life. Yes, so he was kind of yes. egomaniacal approach yeah. to yeah. things. Um, um, but there were valuable aspects in what he was doing. Um, and I think one of them was this idea that poetry can be a, a powerful force in, in the community um, um, for all kinds of Things and, and, and positive and, and good um, and worthwhile. And, and so that comes back to um, you know, the fact that, that I come from a family who, um, who don't, didn't read much. So uh, when I was got a good education, I thought, how can I talk to my um, extended family? Um, and one way was through poetry uh, that they could relate to, like you know, just using sort of ordinary idioms that everyone speaks in this country rather than rather than all this literary stuff which you also kind of knew about so that was that was something that that 
it kind of worked for me as well as having these different layers going on. So you can read the poem one way or you can read it another way. It kind of was an interesting idea. And then the kind of the magic of what you could do with the poem. Okay, so you can read it one way and you can read it another way. Okay, yeah. well, uh, there's uh, uh, some exciting ideas going on there where you've got the, um, these things that the kind of frictions created and, and electricity and... Um, and suddenly, you know, the poem is magic. It's doing its stuff. It's, yeah. it's, it's like anima- animated or... And that kind of thing. So, so um, and um, that, was, that was something I found very, very fruitful. And, um, and, um, and, uh, but as I say, in a way, still it is, it's, about, it's about my life and time. So, so the wilder years, I'm looking back, um, they were pretty wild years. I, I was pretty out there at times, and <laughs> as, as a lot of people were, because that's what you did back then. Um, so, you know, from the... From the uh, um, for want of a better term, um, political correctness of today, where, um, although you, that's not a very accurate way of describing it, I think what it's more to, uh, uh, a better idea to talk about um, the way the way the internet has made everything more transparent, and um, and now it's all about data matching and so forth, and so. Um, things which were once ignorable are no longer ignorable. They're sort of mm. there, um, and um, and various people are, are, are making sure that they're um, that they're they're platformed and talked about, yep. or deplatformed and cancelled. <laughs> Not talked about. <laughs> yeah. So 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 that volatility um, is a big change. Um, mm. I think in in the sense that it's sense that it's. It, 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 it encroaches on the idea of, of what of what public speech is and what private speech is and and mm-hmm. and, and you know and and things like that and we had, we had the great financial crash of two thousand eight and that was about the privatisation of of, of uh, uh, you know of um, where where um, the wealthy um, um, use socialism and things like that so all those kinds of ideas are running through and what's happening. Um, in, in the way we talk about things now, but but to bring it back to the specifically confessional poetry, I think what we've got now is poetry as therapy. So you know, yeah, yeah. stand-up poet will talk about themselves, they'll talk about their angsty life, they'll talk about um, you know um, health issues or whatever. But uh, it'll be all be about from within. Um, and uh, you can say, well, Emily Dickinson did that, but in fact. Um, I think that this 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 other element, the psychoanalytic element, which comes through American um, psychology and psychoanalysis and stuff, which has turned into a dominant uh, influence in American poetry and, by extension, to world or English language poetry and so on. So, I mean, I'm kind of um, still relating very very strongly to the political poets of the 1950s, um, the black poets of the 1950s who, who were writing, um, Cesar Hamir and uh, um, the kind of liberation poets of that time, the, the 70s liberation movements in New Zealand, um, that, that, that was inspiring for me and generated a lot of um, confidence in yeah. my writing. So I think there were other people trying to write the way I'm writing back then, yep. but they didn't have, for some reason, the confidence to, to follow that course. So I stuck with it and um, it kind of uh, saw the map of the territory, how to do it. So you kind of... See the la- the lay of the landscape, and you kind of just make your way through it. In a way, it's like um, it's like uh, going through a rainforest. It's like um, so. It's an intuitive process. 
as much as a yes. as much as a, uh, anything else. So, well, so that, talk about strategy, but in fact, there was no strategy. It was, <laughs> it was an intuitive strategy. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I mean, certainly that's um, no, that, that's a fascinating insight into how how things work and um, how much um, how much of it is something you, you can direct as a poet and, and a writer, and how much of it is just something that is is comes from who you are and where you are. Yes, but, but I think ultimately it is actually it is about literature. Yes. I mean, you know, that's always the baseline. Is like, is like there's this great tradition of literature which, we, which as poets and writers we belong to, whether we like it or not. So we have to respect and acknowledge that tradition that we come out of. And the more you do that, the more you see, well, well it's lasted because it's so strong. It's what kind of runs through, through our, our, our nature. Um, and, and, and my version is the New Zealand version, or the New Zealand version as I know it from having grown up here. I think... Um Having gone through the book and uh, reflecting on some of the poems, it's it's it's, it's a slightly odd sensation that we're um, on reading it, and then you kind of feel that the world's catching up with the poetry, you know, um, which is an interesting thing because the uh, the, the poets that your poems always contain multitudes of very um, you know active, very a lot of go, a lot going on there, and it seems like that's the world we live in today. So maybe you're ahead of the curve there on the bleeding edge of the curve. Look, I think we're getting to the point. Um, I think of some questions from the audience, um, and uh, I th- we started a little bit late, so I think we've probably got a, a time for several questions. Um, so please um, let yourself uh, me know who you are, or raise your hand if you have a question. I mean, otherwise, I'm just going to keep on going. Oh, we have a question. Um, if we get the microphone in, lady here, please. Hi, thanks for that. It's really interesting. Um, you talked a lot about fitting in in this country, about finding your place and your voice. Overall, would you say it troubled you? Were you fearful or depressed by it? Or would you say that you embraced it and it didn't worry you? Um. Yeah, well, there are um, several aspects to that. I mean, uh, uh, um, intellectually, I kind of didn't really um, feel um, lack of confidence. I thought, well, if I just follow... Because um, I read a lot, so I saw, well, these, these writers have already kind of done this stuff and, um, and, and it's survived, so there's that. And, yes, you're asking about interaction with people. Well, when I went out into the community, you know, I could see a difference between what I understood about literature and what, and what people took as received wisdom at the time. But as I say, I was lucky enough to grow up in the, uh, in the 70s when, when, when change was in the air. And so, and so, and so uh, if you were a bit different, I mean, when I was a child, uh, fitting in, I was a bit kind of... I, had, I did have sort of anxiety problems as a child, I must admit. But um, by the time I was in my adolescence, I could see how things worked a bit better in this country. Um, and, and it was still quite tough in that. And that was a very macho society in New Zealand in the 1970s, and so poets didn't really fit in. And so, but then you had, like, Sam Hunt doing his macho poetry thing, and it did fit in. So it, was, it showed that it was, it was um, possible, you know, the contradictions could work... Um, and, 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 and be accepted. Um, so, and that was the other aspect I, I liked about New Zealand was generosity, although it was kind of wasn't really expressed as generosity. It was more like, you know, the she will be right. Oh, okay, you can do that kind of thing without, without being sort of hammered, hammered down. It was like, for me, I was one of the lucky ones who saw, saw all that working. So, yeah. Oh, Alan? Yep, oh, good. <clears throat> Thank you, David. 
I wonder if the position of being Poet Laureate has imposed any constraint on you, or has it offered any opportunities? Um, it certainly kept me very busy with um, writing um, and, and speaking uh, and, and taking workshops and things like that. Um, in terms of constraints, they, the, my, my minder at National Library said, um, you know, it's up to you. <laughs> entirely up to you. We won't um, put any constraints on you. It's, uh, you can say what you like virtually, I think, is, is the implication. Um, yeah, but we rely on you to, you know, um, to moderate yourself. So, um, um, no, I haven't found any um, problems with... with it's, it's, it's actually the other way. Just trying to keep up with, in a way with, with, with public events and trying to write about them. But um, if I don't manage to write something about a particular public event, then uh, um, it's fine. I just carry on. I mean, I, I was asked to write about Anzac Day for the New Zealand Herald last year during the lockdown. So I wrote a poem which they used there. And um, there have been similar kinds of um, commissions and that. The, um, the main drawback for me is not being able to travel as an ambassador for New Zealand overseas. Um, it's meant that I haven't had much of a, an international profile or a chance to establish one. Um, as the previous poet uh, laureate, Selena Tisutala Marsh, was able to travel to Dubai and fest literary festival and, and many other literary festivals. So, and that's actually qu quite important these days in terms of, um, in terms of um, you know, New Zealand's brand, I suppose, or, or identifying who we are as a country in the world and that kind of thing. So I haven't done much of that. But, um, otherwise, it's been fine. Mm. All right, maybe if we just... One, one more, maybe? Uh, yeah, down, uh, we've got down the back here. Hi, David. Uh, your younger self, if your younger self was here now, have you any idea what the younger self would think of you <laughs> as you exist in this? <laughs> um, I think I, so I'm much the last. same person, but I think my younger self would be quite surprised. <laughs> <laughs> very, very surprised. So, yeah, it's certainly not something I was aiming for. Uh, if anything, it was the opposite. You know, I was, was this anti-poet kind of guy who was writing the opposite of what everyone else was writing, and um, I'll just follow my own instincts and, and write what I want to write about um, because I, that was what I enjoyed writing. And, and uh, um, I started out really also very interested in cartoons and drawing and, um, and thought maybe I'll be a visual artist. So, and then I just found I was better at writing um, and kind of transferred some of that kind of satirical impulse, being a cartoonist, into into my into my poetry and what language I was using, um, and so from that perspective, becoming an establishment figure is quite a quite a leap from where I was, quite a quite a dramatic um, a, a, um, a, not really a transformation, but it, in that in that. Uh, um, it's sort of, the, 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 it's like it comes back to this generosity thing. So they said to me, you know, you're the poet laureate, but uh, we won't put any restrictions on what you write. You can write <laughs> poems attacking the government if you like, kind of thing. So, so it's a New Zealand version of being a poet laureate in a way, where, where, <laughs> where we have a lot, a lot of more freedom. And, um, and I think that's great. So it's possible a right-wing poet laureate might come along next time and... <laughs> We're looking for one right now. Um, no, look, I think um, that's probably a, a good time for us to uh, uh, wrap things up. And um, I'd just like to thank David for being such a, uh, you know, for all those insights he's given us into his, uh, his methods of working and what he writes about, what he cares about. Um, and, you know, it's a very special uh, night. 
for us to be here celebrating um, the publication of uh, selected poems of the Poet Laureate. I'd like everyone to uh, join me in thanking David for uh, being with us tonight. This Dunedin Writers and Readers Festival podcast was brought to you with funding from Copyright Licensing New Zealand and the expertise of ORFM. The festival also offers thanks to our major funders, Creative New Zealand, the Dunedin City Council and the Otago Community Trust. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.